Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash adventures in autism. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Before we get into today's episode, I just want to take a minute to talk to you about making authentic friendships. You might remember the founder, Juliana Featherman, from episode 34 of Adventures in Autism. She is an autism sibling who created this amazing interactive web app that enables children ages 13 and up and adults with special needs to make friends based on age, interest, diagnosis, and geographic location. Parents and caregivers can also sign up to connect with other parents and caregivers. For more info or to sign up, head to makingauthenticfriendships.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Adventures in Autism, episode 106. I am Megan Carranza. Thank you so much for coming to listen. If it is your first episode, welcome. So happy to have you. And if you've been listening, thank you so much for coming on back to the show. And every week, I just have to start out by saying thank you so much for just all the love and support that you give the show and just for listening and reaching out. Truly connecting with you guys is my favorite part about doing this podcast. So never, never hesitate to send me a DM or email. I love hearing from you guys. Um, today's episode I am super excited about. It is very long overdue, if I'm being honest. My guest today is Lloyd Donders, and he is a special education attorney as well as an autism dad. So Lloyd and I talk all about his journey with his son, who was on the spectrum, and how navigating the school system for his son, even as a lawyer, was really a challenge for him to be able to get his son the services that he needed. And basically how that led him to becoming a special education attorney and really making this his specialty. And he is definitely an expert. I had such, I was so excited to have this conversation with him. And honestly, he did not disappoint. I learned so much. I know you guys will too. And what I mean by this is overdue is that we actually recorded this episode many moons ago, um, kind of at the beginning of quarantine, honestly, even before everything like really got crazy. It was like back in the beginning of March that we recorded this, which I was not planning on waiting this long to put this episode out. My initial thought was I would put it out around like May, like IEP season, but then everybody knows what happened. So we were not in school. It seemed like things were kind of just on pause. So I held on to this episode and then obviously everything happened with our family, which if you're not familiar, you can go back and listen to some older episodes. I talked about how back in May, we all got COVID. Uh, My sister was diagnosed with brain cancer. So, you know, life definitely just got very, very hectic and crazy. And this episode was just in the vault waiting for the perfect time to come out. And now that we're all back in school, and that obviously looks different for everyone, I felt like hearing from a special education attorney like Lloyd was kind of more important than ever. And the really interesting thing is when I listen back to this episode, I feel like the information that he shares in this this conversation is just as valuable as ever. And actually, him and I were emailing earlier today, and he was saying how, you know, even 
during a pandemic, even in quarantine with school looking different for so many of us, everything that he says in this this conversation really holds up and it still totally applies. So he's just a wonderful resource and just a wealth of knowledge. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy listening to my conversation with Lloyd. Hi, Lloyd. Welcome to Adventures in Autism. Hi, how are you, Megan? I'm happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you. So Lloyd actually had reached out to me. He is a special education attorney. And I will tell you that at this point, I do get a lot of inquiries for the show. So I always ask people, I'm like, can you give me a little like synopsis of what you'd like to talk about, things that that we can discuss? And we were just chatting before. The list that he sent back to me was like way over my head. And therefore I knew I wanted to talk to him because <laughs> it was a lot of stuff that I, I'm curious about or didn't even know that I should be curious about. So I'm really excited to, to chat with you today. If you will kind of take us back to the beginning of your journey and what led you to this field, I would love to hear it. Sure. So I've been practicing law for about probably about 20 years now, a little bit less. Um, but going back about, I guess it was about eight years ago, I should go back a little bit further, actually. I have a, I have a child with special needs. Um, he's got various uh, diagnoses, ADHD, um, ASD, autism spectrum disorder, uh, as well as learning disabilities. And it's just, it was always a challenge getting him what he needed uh, in his school. So, and I didn't really know much about special education starting out. And even though you would think if you're an attorney, you think it comes naturally, but it's almost like a a whole different type of language. Um, And that's also what I tell parents is when they feel overwhelmed, I tell them that you're not alone and that plenty of of attorneys who feel overwhelmed and they have a lot more experience. Uh, So basically I started that with my son and he he was having all kinds of issues, um, social, emotional, Um, learning disability issues. He was just not making any progress. Uh, And unfortunately, the district I was in, which I should say is in in New York, it's a a suburb north of uh, New York City. Um, And we just couldn't get him the services he needed, uh, not that we really knew what he needed. And our special education director was known for just saying no. Uh, So it became a huge challenge. Uh, And then it just so happened that it happened to be a uh, program on special education for uh, legal special education. So I, I showed up there and I just, it was overwhelming how much I learned. Uh, and then for the next couple of years, I was working on behalf of my son uh, and it just like a light bulb just, just lit up. Uh, and thankfully I was able to get him the services he needed. Um, I was able to get the district to admit that they couldn't, provide the, an appropriate education in the school. So he's gone to private schools uh, for a few years now, about eight years now. And he's doing well. Um, but what happened was um, knowing what the challenges that I had, especially in a, a fairly well-to-do district, I started looking around and I realized, especially being above the city, how difficult it is for parents who don't have uh, the resources. So I decided that this is what I want to do. And I just started practicing in special education. I do a lot of work um, with families who uh, don't have a lot of means and I'm able to help them uh, very often in the city. 
Uh, and it's just been very rewarding to be able to work with parents and get their, their children the services and the supports they need. Uh, and just to be able to speak with them and, and guide them through the system and not just winning uh, services for them, but to make them understand uh, what, what the responsibilities of the district are. Because I think that's really important because it's, you know, like they say, if you about, you know, teaching someone to fish versus giving them fish, that's, I, I hope to educate parents um, because that's going to stick with them. You're going to be going to special education for, you know, 12 years or, or more. So I think it's important that parents have an understanding of special education. So that's where I am now. My, my son now is in, uh, I guess it's 11th grade. Um, he'll be turning 18. And it's, it's still a challenge, but, um, you know, it's like anything else. You just do the best that you can. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you sharing that when you had told me that, you know, you're a special education attorney and that you, you know, you have a son with special needs that really spoke to my heart. I, I'm lucky because on, on Logan's team at school, we have a couple different his, his speech therapist and just his coordinator. They, they also have kids on the spectrum. So it's, it's really nice when I go into meetings with them, because as much as, you know, we, we still have our roles. I also, I can, I can look at them and say, you're a mom, you go through these same things that I do. And trust me, I will say that too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's, it's just, you can kind of level with someone then and they know like, okay, this lady means business kind of. Um, But at the same time, I, I love that, like you said, you're, you want to educate parents. So they know what's going on. Cause I feel like I've gotten kind of a crash course, like just with Logan starting in the district. And then also with this podcast, like I was telling you before. So I really appreciate everything that you're doing, especially like you said, with educating other parents. It, I mean, this is kind of a loaded question, but if you could, what would, what's like the best advice that you would be able to give to another parent, like kind of just getting started in their school system that are, you know, they're very green. They don't know what exactly they should expect. Okay. Um, that's, that's a very good question. Um, <laughs> well, you know, I, what I, I tell parents, the easiest thing to, to talk about is I, I tell parents, I'm sort of skipping ahead a little bit. Uh, when you're with what's called the Committee on Special Education, some states may refer to it differently. Um, but it's still federally, it's still referred to as a Committee on Special Education or the CSE. And I'm going to apologize in advance about acronyms. I try to explain them as much as I can. And I think it's important that parents learn them, even though it can be overwhelming, but because they're going to hear it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I tell parents what's very important, if nothing else, um, when they're in one of these meetings and the school is developing the IEP, the Individualized Education Program, um, to understand that there's a certain process has, as to how that's supposed to be done. Um, because sometimes these committees will sort of have their program in mind already before they look at the weaknesses and the evaluations and they think they do things out of order. Uh, and I tell parents, if nothing else, just remember the order of things. And it, and it kind of makes logical sense. Everything goes back to the evaluation, right? Because if you don't know the child's strengths and weaknesses, you don't know what kind of services to give them. And if you don't know what, what kind of services and you don't know what kind of goals there are. So you always wanna make sure that your child has good evaluations uh, and that the evaluations are discussed at the meeting. Really the, one of the first things to do is discuss the evaluations. 
Uh, and then you get to what are the strengths and weaknesses. And obviously that's very important. And once you identify the weaknesses, then you have to say, okay, what are the goals? What goals do we want for this child? How much progress do we want this child? Or do we think this child can achieve within a year? And then once you figure out those goals, the next step is say, okay, now how do we get this child to meet those goals? Uh, and those would be in, in terms of what's called related services. So you may give speech and language, or you may get op occupational therapy um, and various accommodations. Maybe, you know, you say something where the child is going to be in the front of the classroom or, or they can take frequent breaks. And then once you figure that out, you kind of have the program, which is the P and IEP. Uh, and then... Finally, the last, and you're also figuring out what kind of a class size arrangement the child's going to be in. And then the last thing that should be determined is the location. Where, is, where are those services going to be given? Are they going to be given in uh, a general education environment? Is it going to be done in a, uh, in a uh, an environment where it's just special education children? Is it going to be in an environment that's a, a private school? Uh, and I think it's very important just to have that order in mind. And if you ever feel like um, the committee is sort of getting out of order, try to keep them to that order. Uh, and the other thing is always, always, always ask questions because they're going to be spitting acronyms out at you and they understand things that you're not going to understand. And there's nothing wrong with saying, you know what, slow down. I, I don't understand what you mean. What do you mean by that? Because um, it's important because sometimes they try to railroad over you and not always, but they do have a lot of children that they're doing IEPs for. Uh, so you want to make sure that you understand uh, and you can take as long as you want. If they only if they only say give you an hour for the meeting and if at the end of the hour you're not done, you can say, you know what, let's table this. Let's come back. And they may not be entirely happy, but that's OK, because you want what's best for your child. And you don't want 90% of the IEP wrapped up in the last 10 minutes. So there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, slow down. And I think we need to reconvene to have some more time. Those are kind of the, the biggest things I would say. That's, that's really, really great advice. Um, for the parents that, like you had said, the, the district that you guys were in, it was often just a no. When you're hearing that no, what, what should the next step be? Okay. So... It depends. It really depends upon why there's the no, right? And what is the no? Um, so very often, what the what the CSE, the, the Committee on Special Education, will say uh, is that your child's making enough progress. He's doing well enough, and that's really where the fight is. And I should actually sort of back it up by saying um, districts are, as you may know, are, are required to provide what's called FAPE or a free, appropriate public education. Mm -hmm. Um, free is kind of easy. We all know what free means, right? <laughs> um, public education, we understand that at public expense. It's that appropriate that we kind of get into fights over, or I should say uh, uh, discussions over. Uh, and what a parent may think is appropriate, the district may say, you know, we don't need to do that much. So that's sort of where the disagreements usually come from. Uh, how much progress is enough? Uh, and whether or not the child is getting enough services. So it, it really depends if um, sometimes you, sometimes if it's a no uh, on sort of bigger issues, often you need to get 
private evaluations, and that's very important. Uh, I know they can be expensive. Sometimes you can get the district to pay for them, independent evaluations. Um, sometimes you can get your insurance company to pay for them. Things like a neuropsychological evaluation, which can be very expensive. Uh, but if you're talking about a child who is not making a lot of progress in um, in reading or writing, sometimes you need these evaluations to really show it. Uh, and then it that's what it comes down to. You want to be able to have an evaluation to say, you know, this child is in, let's say, third grade, but he's performing at a first grade level. Uh, and then a couple of years later, you're looking at another evaluation that shows that he's still not making that much progress. Mm -hmm. Often you can't really get that unless you do your own independent evaluations. That's a really good point. Um, one of the things that I know I hear a lot from people and I feel like it's just sort of a hot button word right now is inclusion. And it's like, we, we want to be inclusive. We want, you know, inclusive classrooms. Even my, my daughter who is typical is in what's called like a blended classroom, which basically means that, you know, there, she does have kids who have IEPs. I don't know their, their actual diagnoses or how I would say that. Um, but they're, they're basically there's typical kids and then there's kids with IEPs. Um, whereas like with Logan, he's in a self-contained classroom. So he, his classroom, actually, it is all, all kids that are on the spectrum and it's, you know, small class size. And the nice thing for him is that it's, he's in a typical school. So he does get pulled in for inclusion time, but something that's come up for me, like since doing the podcast is, you know, people asking me, why don't you have Logan in an inclusive class? You know, especially if you believe in inclusion. And my answer is always like, I believe in inclusion for, you know, the right child in the right situation, like back to that, you know, appropriate education. So what, what exactly would, would you say to, to somebody who's like, I want my child in an inclusive class? And what exactly would that mean if, if someone was looking towards inclusion? Sure. That's actually a very good question. And I, I actually like how you frame that. It kind of leads into um, my next statement is that when I was talking about the free appropriate public education, the FAPE, the requirement is to do is to provide the child a FAPE in the least restrictive environment. So and that's sometimes called LRE, another acronym, least restrictive mm -hmm. environment, which means to the maximum extent possible, the child with a disability should be educated with his or her non-disabled peers. So, and then you have a whole spectrum, mm -hmm. <laughs> forgive, forgive the, uh, now the term, but the spectrum of services where you have uh, a general education class where you would have um, inclusion, meaning you, you know children with IEPs and children without IEPs together, uh, all the way down to a self-contained class. So, Inclusion is really the max, as much as you can include the child in, in a general education class is the objective, but remember, you still have to provide that appropriate education in that class. So if you can give the child supports so that they can be in the class, maybe give them a, you know speech and language outside of class, um, maybe give them certain accommodations or give them occupational therapy to help with their writing, things that help them be in class, even a one-to-one a -one aid, whatever can help them stay in that class um, with other non-disabled peers is the goal. That being said, that won't work for everyone. Mm -hmm. So if you're putting your child in there and they're not making progress, even with all the supports that you're giving him, 
that's probably not the right environment. And that's difficult. It's, it's really a difficult thing uh, to decide, you know, when you are going to make that determination. And it's really a personal thing. Um, there really shouldn't be judgment on this because parents n- know their children best. And honestly, uh, to be, forgive me if I'm sexist, I mean, mothers know their children best. That's uh, <laughs> always <agree>. been. <laughs> and, and that's totally the case in my family. Um, and you, you just have to see because sometimes it's just not appropriate. Um, and the irony is that um, the reason they had the, this, what's called the IDEA, which is the federal um, statute, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, uh, the reason that was put into place was because they wanted to have more inclusion. Too many children were being put into basically warehoused until they aged out of school and then that was it. So the IDEA told school districts that they must keep these kids in the least restrictive environment possible. So it protects them in that way. The irony is that very often parents come to me for just the opposite. So they don't think their child can get an appropriate education in their, in their local school. And they want to try to get the school district to fund a private school. So it's just ironic that the statute that's supposed to keep the children in the public schools the parents actually want to get the child out of the public school. Yeah, it is. It's, it's so interesting. Cause like you said, it's like people, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. First of all, that like parents know their child best and obviously, you know, have their best interest at heart. At least, you know, you really hope so. Um, but yeah, it is, it is really interesting. And I feel like we are kind of in like this sort of shifting time where, you know, there's this push for inclusion, but like I said, I mean, I, I remember when I was like touring schools for Logan, when he was going into kindergarten and we toured a typical classroom, we toured a self-contained class, like he's in now. And then I actually pushed to at least just tour a therapeutic day school. That's what they're called here. I don't know if we call them that everywhere, but basically a private school where, you know, it's all kids with IEPs a lot of kids on the spectrum. Um, and the reason why I did that was because I, I really wanted him to just get the most out of his school experience. And at that point, at least for me, it, it really didn't matter if that meant he was, he was in, you know, public school or if he was in the private school, I just really wanted to do what was best for him. And I remember going to the, the typical kindergarten classroom and I came like right at, they were doing like a reading lesson in writing and the teacher was like, okay, kids, what did we read about? And all the kids were like, a bunny. And they write down bunny. And then she's like, and then what did the bunny do? And they all answer. And I was standing in the back of the classroom watching. And I'm like, oh, my. I'm like, we are light years away from this. I'm like, this is just, and even even with a para, even with the right support, I just, I knew this was not the right place for Logan. Um, and then after, you know, touring our other options, we decided to, to put him in, in the self-contained classroom, which like I said, he is in, it's a, it's a general school. So he does get pulled in for inclusion time. And I, I'm always trying to get him as much inclusion time as possible, because as much as I think that the self-contained class is the right spot for him, I do want him to have that inclusion time with his typical peers. Cause I do see that as so beneficial, but just academically, I, I know he's, he's in the right spot, but I like how you said that you know, I think for some parents, it, it is just sort of difficult to come to that realization of like, what, what is going to be best for your child? 
Yeah. And like I said, I mean, I, I don't judge. I mean, I'll, I give advice, you know, to parents about what I, what I think. Um, but I always say, you know, but it's your child and it has to be what you want. And if you want to have your child, you know, in inclusion, that's, that's fine. But it, if you put a child in the class where they're struggling and where there are children who are performing, you know, at a much higher level than them, you do have to think about what that's going to do to the child. Is that going to lead to anxiety? Is that going to lead to depression uh, and emotional behavioral issues? It is something that you have to be aware of. Mm -hmm. um, and I tell parents that. And but the other thing as well is that, you know, the thing about special education, especially in the earlier grades, when the, you know, when the children are younger, there's no there's no um, there's more than one bite of the apple. Let's say that. So if you put your child in an inclusion class and it's not working, it's fine. You can go ask for a meeting with your CSE, the Committee on Special Education, and say, I don't think this is working. I think we need to try something else. So don't think that you have to get it right the first time, because if you do, you're not. Um, there's a lot of trial and error. You don't know. There's a lot of trial and error. Children change. So where they might need something one year, the next year, you know, maybe they grow out of it or maybe they have get other issues. Um, but you, you just try to take some of the pressure off. And a lot of parents, they come to me and they think, I got to change this right now. And my child's not reading at this level. And, and, you know, the child's in second grade. And I say, you know, I understand, um, your concerns. I mean, I'm a parent, I taught you want your child to, to progress. And you, in the earlier you deal with these issues, the, the better the outcome is absolutely, but do understand that things can change. And if you make a mistake, it's okay because you will make mistakes. That's really good advice, especially because like you said, I mean, all kids change, special needs are not. So there's definitely a need to adapt when you're, when you're in this world. I really appreciate you saying that. Um, but like you said, so, so my son is pretty young and a lot of my listeners have younger children, some older. Um, but like you and I were sharing before, before we actually started recording because Logan is so young, I know that there is sort of a lot like on the horizon for us. What kind of advice would you have for, you know, a parent like me who has a younger child to like kind of get prepared for what might be to come? Sure. Well, first of all, I mean, if there are any, uh, if there are any presentations that you can go to uh, where they give you a general idea of or tutorial if you will of what the special education process is that's a great way to just kind of get up to speed um, and a lot of the things that I'm talking about now you know you're not going to remember everything and that's fine because I just hope that you remember something about it so that you know down the road and things are not going so I said you know I remember remember Lloyd was saying something about private schools let me look that up you know um, I just want something that so that it kind of sticks with you that you can think back upon it. Um, but that's, that's really a big thing. And also uh, more and more school districts are getting, instead of like the PTAs, um, they have what are usually called SEPTA, which is like special education PTA, mm. um, which is, and if you don't have one, I, I highly recommend that you start something, get some parents together to start it at your school or your school district. Um, and that's really a way to be able to exchange ideas with other parents. And that's, that's the biggest thing because you want to be able to speak to someone who's gone, who's walked in those shoes, who's been there before. Otherwise you're just not going to know. So the more that you can speak to other people, the better it is. And sometimes it's also good to commiserate because <laughs> all the challenges, as we know, 
Um, and no one understands you more than someone who's going through the same thing. And I, I go through this all the time. And, um, you know, people, parents who don't have children with disabilities, they just, they don't get it and they don't understand. Um, so it's helpful to be able to speak to someone who does get it. Uh, and honestly, it's, it's helpful to be able to laugh about things. Um, you know, I, I remember I was talking to one parent and she said, did you know that there are 23 syllables when you walk onto the train and they say, please step away from the closing doors? She's like, because my son told me there are 23 syllables. <laughs> um, so it's important to laugh about these things. Um, but it's, it is difficult. It's a, it's a learning process. So, uh, I think speaking to others is really the best way to, to sort of get up to speed. I mean, you're speaking my language now, cause that's basically the whole reason why I started the podcast. <laughs> Just to have, have that connection and have the conversations, uh, like you said, and, and yes, being able to laugh. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to show, call the show adventures in autism, because, I think autism can feel like a really heavy subject and sometimes it is, but it's also, I mean, for us, like it's just our life. And I wanted there to be like some kind of levity in that, that people knew when they were listening to the show, like, okay, we're, we're not just going to cry. You know, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to talk about the hard stuff, but we're going to talk about all the, the fun, good stuff too. Cause there, there is so much good stuff. Um, that's, that's really good advice though. We, as far as I know, there is not like a special education PTA, within our districts, but I'm going to look into that. Cause I have, I hadn't even thought of that. So that's, that's good advice right there. Um, there was something else that you had mentioned that I had, I had a question about, and it was something about twice exceptional children, which I am not familiar with, but that sounded interesting. Sure. So twice exceptional is really, it's a term that, that refers to children who are generally cognitively advanced, but who also have uh, certain disabilities or, or certain weaknesses. Mm. And it doesn't have to be in regards to children with autism, but they just tend to be. Um, you kind of think more, if you think sort of about kids where they used to call it Asperger's, mm -hmm. um, you know, children who do really well academically, but they have other issues. Uh, sometimes um, parents, they come to me, they say, you know, I, I have my child evaluated. He's got a lot of issues. And the CSC told me, he doesn't qualify because he scored too high on these assessments. Um, and because he, he's doing too well, his grades are high, he doesn't need this help. Um, so that has been denying a lot of these kids, these two E kids uh, get, getting services. And there's a lot of guidance about this, you know, federal guidance, and it sort of depends a little bit on your state, but there definitely is federal guidance um, where they say you, you have to watch, you know, watch out do certain things for these kids. So what that might mean is that if you have a general assessment of children, actually the best thing would be like a speech and language evaluation. Okay. Um, because if you take a child with, you know, high cognition uh, and if you give, and you give them a passage to read often, if they're in, like really intelligent enough, first of all, they're bringing all this information in themselves. Right. I mean, we know that children on the spectrum, especially, are, you know, there's certain things that they're very interested in. So if you give, if they're into dinosaurs and you give them a passage to read that happens to be about dinosaurs, well, they might be answering questions based on their general knowledge. So that might be skewing things. Uh, the other thing is that when you're looking at, uh, at their reading and you, 
based on that, and as well as just the way to sort of infer things, their, their reading comprehension might be too high, might be higher than you would expect uh, for what their reading capabilities are. So if you look at a score, you might see if, they, if you combine all the parts of a score where it would be, let's say, uh, reading comprehension, reading fluency, which is basically how quickly you can read, uh, and letter word identification, which is basically the actual, you know, having the sounds correlate with the letters, like phonics. Um, if you average all those scores out, what sometimes happens is the comprehension score can actually skew everything high so that all the lower scores are being compensated by this by the higher scores and then if you look at this general score what they sometimes call a composite score uh, you'll see an average number and very often the the CSEs will say you know well he's performing average in reading and the, and so he doesn't get services but then if you look at these sub scores you say yeah that's great but when it comes to fluency he's you know he's reading way below average um, and his letter word, his, his letter word identification is way below average. And you need to look at those because if you are seeing those issues, the child will be, should be entitled to services. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's actually, that's one big thing. Uh, and the other issue is as well as obviously it's not just academics that you have to look at. Um, it's the whole educational experience. And this sort of this sort of differs from state to state how much they get into it, um, but it isn't enough that the child performs well academically. Um, if they're struggling to perform academically and it's coming out and they're having anxiety and they're having social emotional issues because of it, um, that needs to be addressed as well. Uh, and these are things that often the CSEs looked past, uh, but there's now federal guidance that say that you really can't. Mm -hmm. um, so. These, these twice exceptional children is sort of a, a special group of children within the autism spectrum community. Uh, and there are a lot of groups out there on Facebook that, um, that give you advice on that. And, and you'll hear that a lot when they say, you know, your child is just, he's, he did too well on the test. He doesn't get services. Mm -hmm. Often it's because of that. That's so interesting. Yeah, when, when you had said that, that was a word that I, I hadn't heard of before. Um, but it's interesting having you listening to you explain that because I actually have a friend who is in that almost that exact situation that you're talking about right now where it's like her son is, you know, performing really well on tests and he, he reads well and he writes well, but he is having other issues at school. And there's, you know, there's a whole, whole bunch of different stuff that's going on, but she keeps hearing from, you know, the teachers and the people of the district, like, no, he doesn't qualify for services based on his test scores. So that's really good to know that there's, you know, you can push for that and really get, get what's, what's mandated by law, you know, to have, have things looked at a little bit more, which actually brings me to another question. When do you feel like it, it is the appropriate time to bring in an advocate or like a special needs or special education lawyer when it's like, you're, you're just beating your head against a wall and things are not adding up or when do you, when would you give that advice to be like, okay, it might be time to look at getting an advocate. Sure. So the, the funny thing is uh, often I, I get parents who call me and their child maybe is in first grade and they're saying, you know, Lloyd, I'm having these issues. I don't think my child's making enough progress. So I speak to them about um, 
what the requirements and the responsibilities of the school district are towards their child. Uh, and then they go to a CSE meeting and they, and they come back to me like, you know, Lloyd, I think, I think they're doing what's right by the child. He, he's making some progress. I think I'm going to stick with it for a little while. And what I tell them, because it's been my experience, I say, that's totally fine. But I say, what usually happens in a couple of years, you're going to be coming back to me and you're going to be cursing about those awful people at the CSE who hate your kid and, and don't care about anything and you want to get any kind of revenge you can because your child is just failing and they're torturing him. And unfortunately that happens a lot. Mm -hmm. um, the parents who usually come to me generally have gone through at least several years of struggles with their school district. It's, these usually are not parents who come to me and say, you know, I just had an issue. My, my kid's in kindergarten. Can you help me? Sometimes it happens, but usually it's over the course of several years um, when they're finally coming to me with their wits end, at their wits end. Mm -hmm. um, one of the big things to remember, is, and I always go back to reading, it's kind of, you know, it's just reading applies to so, uh, but there's a, sort of a, a saying that children up until the, up until third grade, they're learning to read. And then once they hit third grade, they're reading to learn. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something you'll probably hear more of. And you think about it, you know, you, you learn very tactilely, you know, with your hands and, and the, and the parent and the teacher is reading to them. And that's how you're learning. Once you hit third grade, all of a sudden you're reading textbooks. Mm. All of a sudden it, you know, it's not the teacher who's telling you about the revolutionary war. You have to read about the revolutionary war. Uh, and that's really where you start to see the discrepancies. And that's really when you see the child falling behind, they're not able to keep up. Um, and you see it on their, on their evaluation scores that they're falling further behind. Uh, and then also at that point, you, you're starting to see the child become more aware of, of his issues. Uh, and then you very often will start seeing social emotional issues, behavioral issues, anxiety, that starts to come out at that point as well. So uh, I tell parents, I mean, especially around that time, around that third grade age is really a big time to start looking at um, you know, what issues your child has. Um, but also it's important to look at not just how they are doing academically, but how they are emotionally. And if it's taking them a lot of effort uh, to do well academically, and you're seeing it in their personality, and they're not sleeping, and they're having issues, um, that's definitely a time to say that, you know, we, we need to get involved. Um, and, and that's really what we're looking at. And, and the biggest thing is the progress, how much progress are they making? Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's what I look at, is just how much progress is this child making? And if you feel like your child is not making the progress that you want, that might be when you want to bring an advocate in or an attorney. That's really good advice. I, I, that's so interesting how you said, you know, and up until third grade, you're learning to read, then you're reading to learn. There's so many things now that it's like my kids are in school that I, I look back on like with my own education and I just have such a, a different lens, obviously <laughs> that I, I'm looking at things now. Uh, and it's in some ways it's discouraging. Cause it's like, I feel like we are up, against a lot in terms of like school district and all that um but it's also it's it's encouraging because i feel like we are just so much more aware now and we know so much more and that is really encouraging 
Um, you got a feisty little dog over there. I do, and I apologize for that. I, I'm actually I working, <laughs> working from home today. So, yeah, he's a little too feisty. I have a feisty little dog, too, so I get that. Um, I feel like we've covered so much, and I so appreciate your time. Is there any anything else that you, you wanted to add or share before we wrap up? Uh, yeah, you know what? The, the only other thing that I would sort of point out um, is parents, they're not always aware of this, but there is something called parent counseling and training. Um, in some states, such as New York, if a child has autism and they have an IEP, uh, the school district is actually required to give the parent some sort of counseling and training. Um, and it may not be required in other states, uh, but if you are having issues with your child, behavioral issues, um, you're having a tough time getting them you know, to do their homework or, or handling certain behaviors that they have, you can ask for assistance from your Committee on Special Education and say, hey, I need some counseling with this, some, some training. Can you help me do this? Because I need your help so that I can support my child at home so that th my child is ready to learn in the school. So don't be afraid to ask for help on the behavioral and emotional things. Uh, a lot of parents think that it's only limited to the academics. So that's something big I would point out. That is really good advice. Yeah, I, I wasn't aware of that. I get parent training with my son's BCBA. So his, his ABA team, we do a meeting about every six weeks with the whole team. And we kind of sit down and talk about what's working, what's not working, you know, progress. And if we need to tweak or change anything. And then his, his, his BCBA and I also do like a private meeting, just her and I, and we talk about some similar stuff, but we also just talk about more of like what's, you know, going on in general and just ways where, again, I can kind of support Logan more at home when he's not at school or in therapy. And those meetings for me have always been really helpful. So I can imagine like on the school side of things that, I mean, I, to me, it's like any any resource or information you can get. It can't it, even if it ends up not being, you know, super helpful. It's always good to just check it out. Definitely, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Lloyd, it's been a pleasure to chat with you, and I so appreciate you just sharing all of your knowledge. Can you share where people can connect with you if they have questions or they just want to chat with you? Sure, absolutely. So uh, you can check out my website. It's specialedlegalinfo.com. Uh, or on Facebook, you can look me up also, um, just Law Offices of Lloyd Donders. Uh, and I'm, I'm definitely more active on Facebook. I update it a lot um, with various articles that are out there. Um, I mean, it's definitely New York cent cent uh, excuse me, centered. Mm -hmm. um, however, the things that are all around the country. And then I also do a lot of blog posts that I post there, sort of more... Uh, more unique information, uh, whether it's about evaluations or twice exceptional. Um, so definitely check that. I, I, I think it's a great resource, but that's just me. <laughs> well, wonderful. I will tag you there when I post this episode. Well, thank you so much. Like I said, for just sharing all your wisdom. I feel like I have learned so much and I'm sure the listeners do too. It was a pleasure, Megan, really. All right. You take care. All right. Take care. Bye. 
For you, the listeners of Adventures in Autism podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I often get asked for book recommendations related to autism, and one that I always go back to is called The Out of Sync Child by Carol Kranowitz, and it was actually recommended to me by a friend who is also an OT. And I read this book years ago before Logan was even diagnosed. It's not necessarily just for autism. It also goes into like sensory processing disorder or ADHD, but it's just very valuable information and a really great resource that I still pull from today, even though I read it years ago. So that's a really good one. Sometimes just to get my mind off things, I also just enjoy good old chiclet. (laughs) I love anything by Emily Giffen, like Something Borrowed or Something Blue, and those are available on Audible as well, but you can pick from any of their titles. So to download Download your free audiobook today. Go to audibletrial.com slash adventures in autism. All one word. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash adventures in autism for your free audiobook. Okay, well, I hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Lloyd. Wasn't he just awesome? I when I listened back to this episode, because like I said, we recorded this a while ago. I was just kind of blown away by our conversation all over again and just so such wonderful advice that he shares. One of the things that really stuck with me that I was thinking about even today was when he was saying how, you know, especially with with like kiddos like Logan who are younger and I know many of my listeners have younger kids. Just kind of how he said, like, you know, it's okay if you don't necessarily get it right the first time. It's okay if you have to change things and, you know, kind of change course. That That's all, that's okay. And then, it, honestly, it's pretty probable <laughs> that that might happen. Um, I just thought that was really advice. I feel like so often, just as parents, but especially as special needs parents, we put so much pressure on ourselves to get it right. I know I absolutely do that. And if I miss, you know, any kind of cue or really anything that I feel like I messed up on, I tend to be really hard on myself. And I'm trying to get better at that. I hope I am in some ways. But I thought that was just such good advice. And I think something that honestly, we all kind of need to hear, not just in terms of school, but it's like, we're, we're doing our best as parents. And if it ends up that, you know, one decision turns out to not be the right one at that time and you have to change course, that's okay. So I just really appreciated him saying that among all the other awesome advice that he shared, just such valuable information. So if you want to connect with Lloyd, I have him tagged in the show notes um, on Facebook and his website, both amazing resources. And yeah, he's just awesome. So thank you so much, Lloyd, for coming on the pod and sharing your your knowledge with us. And if you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook at Adventures in Autism Podcast or on Instagram at Adventures in Autism Pod, or you can email me at Adventures in Autism 2018 at yahoo.com. Again, just like I said at the top of the show, I love hearing from you guys. 
I love getting feedback. If you have, you know, questions or comments, let me know. If you have been enjoying this podcast and you would be so kind to leave a rating and review, especially those on Apple Podcasts, they really do help people to find the show and they just warm my heart. So if you have time to, you know, leave leave a review with some kind words, that'd be awesome, but also just tap in that five star really helps too. So thank you. Uh, And that is all for today. But until next time, take care.